Hi, I'm Brad. <laughs> and I, I sit down over there. That's where you'll see me for the next uh, few months. I'm married to Roxy. Roxy, as you know, is uh, going to be with me soon, but at the moment she's uh, uh, caring for somebody in Connecticut and is going to continue to do that for the, uh, the next little while. And uh, I am delighted to be with you today. I, I, I am so delighted that when I chose the socks that I was going to wear, I wanted them to express that delight. <laughs> and, and, and you know what just occurred to me? I, I keep forgetting that this service is broadcast. So being like, oh, okay, i got to be careful about that. Anyway, um, last Sunday, uh, we found in the, uh, in the chairs after church a, a picture that somebody had drawn of apparently me and look, isn't that pretty good? And in fact, it's a cross between George Lucas and um, um, uh, uh, the, the KFC guy. What's, what's his name? Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't you think? Well, yeah. So if you're an artist and you want, if your way of staying uh, connected to the, the sermon is to, to draw a picture, uh, feel free. Leave it in the chair and we'll get it and I'll get, I'll get to look at it. So... Um, I am uh, I'm your interim lead pastor. Now, some of you might be thinking, what's that? You know, that's, you know what a lead pastor is. What, what's that word interim about? And let me just say, especially since I'm uh, kind of early in the game, that, uh, that an interim pastor is the pastor that kind of comes in the interim, the pastor that comes in between uh, uh, one pastor and the next. And my job is to, in, in many ways, pastor you well, which I'm going to do my best uh, at doing, uh, not without some... Uh, failures along the way, I'm sure. Um, but I also have a, a second role as an interim pastor, and that's to help guide the staff, the leaders, and this church to, uh, to ask questions, to think about your congregation, your history, your life together, so that you can maybe address some things in preparation for the next season of ministry. So during the course of my time here, I'll be wearing kind of those two hats, and sometimes they blur together, sometimes they don't, but that's what interims do, and I'll probably tell you more about what interims do as the time goes on. Um, I, I was... Uh, I was in a coffee shop uh, early this morning, about, uh, I think I got there at 6.45 or so, and um, yeah, it was a Starbucks, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I know there's better out here, but I, you know, I'm from Seattle, what can I, what can I say? And uh, I was going through my sermon, I, I kind of used that time to prayerfully prepare, and I got I to gotta tell you, I mean, I, I've been a pastor for a few years, and every time I stand up in front of a new congregation of people that don't know me, I'm a little nervous, and, I, and so I don't want to pretend that I'm not nervous. It won't be obvious to you, but so there I am sitting, thinking about the, uh, what I'm about to say to you and uh, enjoying a nice cup of Starbucks chai tea coffee, or chai tea latte, and I hear somebody say to me, hey, are you that preacher, that new pastor over at the uh, Hillcrest Church? Is there no place <laughs> that you can go without being recognized? That's what I want to know. That's, anyway, it was, it was fun to meet this person. and So I'm going to go to a different Starbucks next week. <laughs> I am honored to be able to work alongside the staff of Hillcrest Covenant Church. I have spent the last week working with them 
seeing their dedication to this ministry in all of the various ways. And I want to say to you, and many of you probably already know this, that you are very fortunate. You are very fortunate to have such a committed uh, group of people who are leading the various ministries of this church. I hope you recognize that. And the, and the part about their ministry to me already has been as they have seen me wandering aimlessly in the halls, lost, they've always gently taken me back to the office. And <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's pretty good. Well, one more thing I want to say before we launch into this new series of sermons in the book of Ephesians called This Is Us, Becoming the Church That We Were Meant to Be. Um, I, I just want to say that I know that you all have been through a difficult season of ministry. I know that. And I want you to know that I have been through difficult seasons of ministry as well. So that means we're in the same boat. Isn't that great? <laughs> And, and I, I want to go a little bit further to say this, that, that I have discovered that in my imperfection as a pastor, that God uses me in those broken places. And I believe with all my heart that God does the same with churches. So no matter how uh, deep the pain may still be, or maybe you're uh, feeling like you're getting through it, no matter how broken you think the, the church has become because of the circumstances that you have been through, I want you to know that I believe with all my heart that God wants to do something wonderful with this congregation. And it's going to start with, with finding us in our brokenness and using it, us from that place. And I, I hope you believe me. Maybe today you don't because you just met me, but... Uh, by the time I leave here, you will, you'll be able to recite that, recite that back to me. Where'd that pop come from? Did I? Did I... Okay. Well, anyway, my, my prayer for us as a, as a congregation over the next few months of ministry together is that we would learn to love God more, to trust Jesus with more aspects of our brokenness. You know, if the, if the pops came at the perfect moment, it would be really powerful. If I need to switch to a different mic, you just let me know. Okay, we're going to do that. Which mic do you want me to use? This will, this will constrain me a little bit. I won't, I won't get too crazy. So, somebody came up to me uh, between the services and said, uh, said uh, wow, you, you, know, you kind of get passionate when you preach. And, and they said, I can see where you probably spit once in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, I do. Sorry. And so for those of you that sit down here, well, luckily there's nobody sitting in the front row anyway. Um, the, the, the title of the sermon, This Is Us. I, I stole it blatantly from the TV show. I don't, do any of you here watch this show? It's a fairly popular show. I've seen it a couple of times. I haven't quite, you know, got addicted to it quite yet, but um, it, it's a pretty good show because it apparently talks about 
very different family, different people, and different life circumstances. It's pretty real, right? And so I stole that as I was thinking about this sermon series because I think that the book of Ephesians does something similar. It prevents us with an image of who we are, what our identity is in Jesus Christ. This is us. I want, by the time this sermon series is over, for you to recognize that what Paul is, is writing about to the Ephesians, um, he's writing about to us as well. Um, so I want us to begin there in the book of Ephesians, and I want for us to be reminded that, uh, that our identity in Jesus Christ is the most secure and most important thing that we can possibly have. Ephesians is essentially a, a summary statement of, of Christian identity. If, you, if you've ever read it or, or memorized it, you will, you will know that already. Paul describes in this brief little letter how our identity affects every aspect of our lives. So, so I invite you today and next week and the week after to discover with me how to become the church that we were meant to be. This is us. How to become the church that we were meant to be. For many of us, our identity formation began at a very early age when we were children. Certain behaviors we, we had were reinforced by our parents, our teachers, our friends, and as a result, we began, to, we began to see ourselves through the eyes of those people around us. We began to form our own identities that expresses themselves even this many years later. You know, I mentioned earlier today that my parents rarely went to a parent-teacher conference all the way through grade school where the report that they got on me was, um, Brad is a nice boy, he doesn't try very hard, and he likes to make people laugh. And, okay, what's changed, you know? <laughs> what's changed? Uh, but these same... these. These identities that we have sometimes are because of, you know, our ability to make people laugh. Sometimes it has to do with our academic achievement or our ease of conversation with other people, our, uh, our aesthetic sensibilities. You know, we, we, were, we were the kind of person that colored between the lines really beautifully, you know. Well, I was more the kind of guy that took the crayon and, you know, put two or three swaths across and moved on to the next page. You know, one of my siblings was just very careful, you know. Um, some of us uh, develop an identity because of our accomplishments in life, and that, that, that happens. And these, of course, all reinforce in us that our identity somehow is reflected in, in, in those things. Somewhere along the way, each of us began to wonder how our identity would lead us into some kind of future occupation, right? You know, how am I going to turn this thing uh, into something that I could do for a living. When we were asked we, uh, what we wanted to do when we uh, grew up, we delighted to imagine how our growing sense of self-awareness might lead us toward our life's vocation. What do you want to be when you grow up? In fact, that's not a bad question to ask yourself even if you've grown up. In fact, I'm, I'm asking that right now, believe it or not. Some of us responded to that question by proudly announcing to our families that we want to be astronauts or, or we want to be nurses or firefighters. And as our lives became more complicated, we sometimes wondered what happened to those, to those childhood dreams. 
Some of us got married, some of us didn't, some of us had children, others didn't. Nevertheless, most of us discovered that our, our, our childhood dreams didn't necessarily translate into the, to the kind of occupation that we dreamed of as a child. Like, let me ask you, how many of you became what you answered that question, what do you want to do when you grow up in your adult life? Any of you? Okay, a couple. Okay, good, good. That, that sometimes happens. I posted on Facebook recently to my friends this question, what did you want to be when you grow up? And here are some of their answers. Teacher, veterinarian, journalist, artist, actress, flight attendant, photographer, missionary. You know, that's the top of the pecking order, right? That's... And then somebody wanted to be a figure skater, a Zamboni driver. <laughs> you know what that is, right? That, that big machine that they, they, they fix the ice with between. And I, I made a big mistake earlier this morning when I said that um, I was glad to be here because the, the hockey team of this area is the Blues. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Zamboni driver, social worker, mermaid. Somebody wants to be a mermaid. A rodeo clown. A knight in shining armor, a ferret. Uh, that, that seems a little weird to me. I, you know, I and finally, uh, one of the respondents said they wanted to be a cartoonist, and that was me. I wanted to be a cartoonist. Very few people end up doing what they hoped for as a child. For most of us, life took them in an entirely different direction. I would like to know, however, whether that person who wanted to be a ferret needed therapy later in life, because that just seems really weird. So, so here's the problem. When we link our identity with our occupation, who we become, who, who we are becomes contingent upon what we do, right? Do you see the problem there? We, we, we believe that our identity is what others tell us, then who we are is merely what we do. It's just a function of, of getting up on uh, Monday morning, as most of us are going to do tomorrow, and going to do that thing. You know, I remember when my dad retired from, uh, I think, 35 years working in the same job for the same company. I mean, how rare is that these days, right? And uh, he retired on a Friday, and... The next Monday, uh, you would have expected that he would have, what, slept in? No. He got up at the same time, went in the bathroom, shaved, showered, cleaned up, got dressed, went out to the kitchen table, read the newspaper, had his cup of coffee, and he did that for weeks on end. And I wanted to say, Dad, don't you realize that you can, you can sleep in? You're retired. But sometimes our identity is what we do. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul provides us with a, with a different way of understanding our real identity. For Paul, our identity is not what we do, but who we are, or you can even say whose we are. You get the difference? Let me say it again. Our, our real identity is not what we do, but whose we are. Now, until we understand our identity is rooted in this relationship with God and Jesus Christ, we can't really understand the mystery of the gospel that God has prepared for us since the very foundation of the world. 
Our occupation, our wants, our likes, our dislikes, our current emotional state, our sense of satisfaction in our jobs, our level of contentedness in our marriages, our feelings of alienation or togetherness, our loves, our losses, everything that occupies our day-to-day existence, as important as all those things are, have nothing to do with our identity in Jesus Christ. Hillcrest Church, if you remember nothing else that I say today, please remember that the only identity that matters is the identity that God gives us in Jesus. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for the adoption of sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the ones he loves. So how do we begin to see our identity through the lens of this relationship to Christ and not what others are telling us is our identity? Well, at verse 4, here's our first answer. For God chose us in him before the creation of the world. The first thing to note in this text is that God chooses, we don't. I I remember as a kid uh, going out onto the playground during recess or lunch hour in uh, grade school. And you probably did this too, you know. You want to get a game of something going, uh, soccer or kickball or whatever, and, you, and everybody lines up in a line, and the, and the two kind of leaders of the group get to choose, and you choose one, and then the other one chooses the other, and then you get right down to the end, and there's only one person left. You remember that? I hated that, because I never knew if I was going to get chosen. In fact, in most days, I would be chosen, well, it was either me or Lenny, and Lenny often had crutches. What I'm suggesting, what I think Paul is suggesting to us here, is unlike the schoolyard kickball game, God doesn't choose us according to our abilities. God is not interested in whether we have future potential or we are just average. Paul says God chooses us from the creation of the world, and for that reason we can rest confident that God will finish the work that God has already begun in us. Here's another thing to note from this passage at verse 5. God adopts us and calls us his children. Not only does God not use the schoolyard standard to, to determine our identity, Paul says that we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. Now, I, I don't know if you know anyone has, who has adopted children or perhaps you are adopted yourself. Um, I'm adopted I was adopted at birth. I'll, I'll tell you that story sometime, not today. But if you watch an adoptive parent who has to go through all the stuff before and during and after the adoption process, there's little doubt that the whole process is set up to weed out those who aren't serious about adopting a child, right? And once a new parent brings their adopted child home, they love and care for that child as if it was their own. That's my experience. And you will never hear a parent of an adopted child introduce their child like this. This is my adopted son, Brad. They won't say it. 
Instead, they will say, with the same amount of pride and, and, and the same amount of compassion, they'll say, this is my son. This is my daughter. When Paul speaks about adoption in the letter to Ephesians, this is what he has in mind. Being adopted into God's family doesn't mean that we're second rate in any way. We're, we are called God's children along with everybody else. We can begin to understand our identity in Christ when we realize that God chooses us and we don't choose God. We can also begin to understand our identity in Christ when we know and recognize that we have been adopted and called God's children. And then finally at verse 7, Paul says, In him, that is Christ, we have redemption through Christ's blood. You see, Paul is cruising along here, writing the first chapter to the Ephesians with an airtight case for our identity being rooted in Jesus Christ. And then it's as if Paul pulls out a megaphone and he says, your identity in Christ matters because it's the very identity which is the mark of your salvation. I like the way that pastor and poet Ted Loder says it. He says, this mark in a most, most remarkable way traces God's image on our souls. We carry, a, we carry a piece of God in us, which is an indicator of our salvation. It can't be rubbed off. It can't be washed off. It's, a mark, it's, a, it's, a, it's an identifying mark of who we are. We've been, we've been chosen, we have been adopted, we've been called, we've been saved. This is the mystery of the gospel Paul will continue to unpack as we look at the book of Ephesians over the next few weeks. So here's the, here's the $64,000 question. To what end? You know, what difference does it make? What's all this talk about identity have to do with me? Well, if you look uh, ahead in this passage at verse 12, uh, let me read that and see if we can uh, answer that question briefly. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. There, there Paul goes again, to the praise of his glory. Our identity in Christ matters because we reveal the very imprint of Christ before the watching world. We live our lives, and in so doing, we become immersed in this identity, and those who rub up against us in our lives, in our day-to-day -day activities, they will experience Jesus in us. This is why it's so important, really, that we are marked by Jesus and that we live our lives in the world and not just in the church. You know, and I, this church has a, a long history of, of being out there, and I, I know that, and I love that about the church. But the real impact that we're going to make in our community is not by what happens inside the four walls of this church. It's going to be that we rub up against people who experience the mark of Christ in us. That, that's an evangelism strategy that I can get behind. 
this, this mark, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we have to memorize a certain number of biblical passages or achieve some level of biblical competency before we actually become marked by, uh, by Jesus. It doesn't mean that. All that's required is that we live our day-to-day lives with the awareness that God's image has been traced on our souls. Our real identity is who God says we are in Jesus Christ. That, that kind of summarizes everything as far as I can tell. Paul develops this idea when he says we receive this deposit. This is, this is sort of banking language, right, that guarantees this inheritance. What Paul is suggesting here is that our future identity is not based in our ability to provide for ourselves or to accumulate things or money, as good as we may be at doing that, our future security is held in the promises of Jesus' redemptive love. I know that's a mouthful. Our future security is held in the promise of Jesus' redemptive love. I, 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 um, I read a lot of Henry Nouwen, who's a Catholic spiritual writer. I don't know if any of you are familiar with him. He's written many, many books. And uh, the reason I like them is because there's big print and they're short books. So <laughs> how many books you read this week, Brad? Oh, I think I read about four. They were all, they were, they were all Henry Nouwen books. But anyway, he says this. You are what you are not what you do, although you do a lot. You are not what you have collected in terms of friendships or connections, although you might have many. You are not the popularity that you have received. You are not the success of your work. You are not what people say about you, whether they speak well or whether they speak poorly about you. All these things that keep you quite busy, quite occupied, and often quite preoccupied are not telling the truth about who you are. I am here to remind you, he says, in the name of God, that you are the beloved daughters and sons of God, and that God says to you, I have called you from all eternity, and you are engraved from all eternity in the palms of my hands. You are mine. You belong to me, and I love you with an everlasting love. The sign of our security is not all the things that we do to protect ourselves. Even in this coronavirus day, our security is not going to be how many gallons of disinfectant we've managed to hoard off the store shelves. Our security is that we belong to God. And the more we live into that reality, the more visible the image of Jesus becomes in our lives. And then Paul pauses, and it's as if he's taking a breath, and he says, and all of this is to the praise of his glory. Hillcrest Church. It doesn't matter what a great reputation you have as a church. Sorry to break it to you doesn't matter how many pastors you've sent on to denominational jobs. doesn't matter how many Bible studies you offer in a, in a given week. doesn't matter how nice the, the sanctuary looks. What matters is that we understand that our identity 
is not in that stuff, but it's in Jesus' imprint in our lives, in our very souls. So what I want to reinforce for you today is that you are who God has created you to be. You are who God says you are. Did you catch that? You are who God says you are. And the sooner we understand this reality, the more evident the image of God will become in us and through us. And as we live and we love and we learn how to recognize this image over the next few weeks together in this book of Ephesians, it is my hope and it is my prayer that God's image will be evident in us to those who need to hear this good news in Prairie Village, Kansas. You know, three months ago, I couldn't have found Prairie Village on a map. And driving around, getting lost, asking uh, my Google Maps to help me find my way home, I've discovered something about this town. There's lots of big churches. Have you noticed that? And I hope all of these churches are thriving uh, um, as, as God would want all of us to be. But I, I wonder sometimes how many churches have figured out that it's in our moments, in our places of brokenness and weakness where God can put that imprint of Jesus' identity in us. Perhaps you're here today and you've never really understood that God wants you to, to live into this identity and for the first time you're ready to invite Jesus to shape that identity. Man, if that's you here today, that's great. This is the right place for you to be. This is a divine appointment for you and God. Come, come up after the service and we'll have some people that will be willing to pray with you about that. Maybe you're here this morning and you already understand that your identity is rooted in Christ because you've heard it over and over and over again from many good preachers that have come before me. But you have become distracted You've allowed other less important things to shape your identity. And you, you know it, but you just haven't had the energy or, the, or the, the perseverance to stay committed to that. Maybe you are here this morning and your life's a mess. I suspect there's one or two of you that would qualify for that. And you wouldn't recognize Jesus' identity in you even if you wanted to. I have good news for you, Hillcrest Church. Jesus, God says you are who God wants you to be. And so my, my prayer for us as we uh, sort of end our worship today and move into this new season of life together is that we can be a church of normal, ordinary people filled with the joy of God's spirit at work in us broken but confident in the identity that Jesus is working in us right now will you join me in prayer Lord you know our story you know which one of these persons I am You know the deepest places of my pain. 
You know the distractions, you know the hurts, you know the desires that pull me to places that I probably shouldn't go. My prayer is that on this day, we will have the courage to invite you to be at work in us, uh, stamping us with the imprint of Jesus. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the future that we have, not because we're smart, handsome, and above average, but because of what you want to do in us in the midst of our sadness and discouragement and sometimes brokenness. Have your way with us, God. Help us to be a church that believes that we are who you say we are. In Jesus' name, amen.